Hey guys, welcome to the Pacing Racing Podcast, the Canadian triathlon podcast made of mind for the age group triathletes. Now, in today's episode, we meet with American pro ITU triathlete, Matt McElroy. So Matt's been on fire recently with a hat trick in the World Cup victories at his last three races, and he set a new standard across the board in the ITU series. His most recent success has put him in a great position for the potential to toe the line at the Tokyo Olympics next summer. So we discuss this and his outlook on the Olympics in today's episode. And we also discuss other things like racing with Ventum, the eventual possibility of an Ironman, and so much more. And just not long ago, we had Cam Worf on the podcast, and it was funny to hear Cam's perspective on Santo Domingo IT race. So now we get to hear the perspective of that race from Matt. In this episode, we also go over his racing plans and schedule, and he shares some great insight on racing to your fullest potential through mindset, as well as going over some training tips and so much more, guys. So I'm personally a big fan of Matt and the American Triathlon team, so the honor is all mine in this podcast, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Now, let's cue the music. Today's show is brought to you by two sponsors. The first one is Brown Sports Bike Shop located in Toronto, Ontario. So I've always wanted to partner up alongside a local bike shop, but I was reluctant to commit because I never found a bike shop that encompassed everything I wanted in a shop until I met JP from Brown Sports. When you want to help represent a bike shop, you want to know you can be absolutely sure you can refer your friends and family and listeners to them and know they're being taken care of in the best hands and getting the best prices. The team at Brown Sports are super knowledgeable when it comes to proper bike selection and bike fitting. In fact, JP is a retool and IBFI level two certified fitter and will go above and beyond helping you select the right bike for you and go to great lengths in making sure you leave the best bike fit possible. And they have a huge selection of bikes, including an incredible lineup from Quintana Roo Bikes. And they're also the only company in Canada to offer up the 51 Speed Shop products. So it's really an all-in-one shop. So it's not just a bike shop though. They also have a ton of great nutritional products, swim gear and running gear. So if you're needing to add something to your triathlon repertoire, then there's a good chance they have it. And I'm currently working with JP now to get my bike fit dialed in. As last season, I realized I was losing some valuable wattage and coming off the bike way more fatigued than I had to be because my positioning was way off. So I'll be doing a video of the fitting process when it's all done. So if you want to see that, then be sure to sign up to the Pacing Racing YouTube channel to be first notified when that comes out. And alongside carrying some of the best triathlon and road bike selections, Brown Sports also has a demo room for all the best indoor bike trainers, including the TAC series, the Wahoo series, and even the latest 4i flight trainer. So if you're in the market for a new bike trainer, then they are also the experts in that area and they'll help you set up the proper trainer and get you a good price. So if you want to go check them out in person, you can find them at 2447 Bloor Street West in Toronto at the Jane and Bloor intersection or of course, you can also check them out and see their full inventory and list of services online at brownsports.com. And lastly, you can follow them on Instagram or Facebook by searching Brown Sports. The second sponsor of today's show is Echelon Wheels, which is a wheel manufacturer based right here out of Ontario, Canada. And I'm beyond happy to find a wheel company like Echelon for so many reasons. As we mentioned, this being a Canadian-based podcast, I love to have partnerships with other Canadian brands. And who better than a wheel company that offers top-quality designs and materials for a wheel set at a fraction of the cost compared to the other brands in the market. And to put this into perspective, the Echelon Full Disc is going for around $14.99 Canadian, whereas some other brands in the market are selling their full discs for upwards of $3,300 US. And of course, every wheel set is different, but as an age grouper, we all know that the sport is super expensive. So it's, it's nice knowing there are brands out there like Echelon, they're just able to keep the cost down for us as much as possible. So the neat thing about Echelon is that they're active cyclists who run the company. So you know they're not just making their products, they're actually using them for their passion. And if you look at their products, they carry wheel selections from U-Profile, V-Profile, and offer depth ranges from 38 millimeters all the way up to the full disc. So if you're curious about my bike setup, I'm currently running with a 60 millimeter Echelon wheel in the front and an 88 millimeter Echelon wheel in the rear with DT Swiss hubs. And recently I created an aero testing video alongside William, the co-founder of Echelon Wheels, where we tested three different Echelon wheel sets across two days of outdoor testing at different set wattages to see what wheels are best suited in certain course conditions. So if you guys want to check that out, you can head to Pacing Racing on YouTube. Echelon isn't only a partner of the Pace Racing Podcast, but they're also huge supporters of Team LPC, which is the team I'm training with this year as I build up to 2020 Challenge Roth. And for a limited time, they've been super, super awesome and offer up a discount code to the Pacing Racing listeners. So if you want to look at getting yourself a wheel set, then head to echelonwheels.ca and use promo code PACINGANDRACING. 
And I also recommend checking them out on Instagram or Facebook by searching at Echelon Wheels. And again, Echelon is spelled E-C-H-E-L-O-N. So Matt, welcome to the Pace Racing Podcast, man. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, man. Uh, obviously, thanks so much for taking the time today to come on the show. Uh, I appreciate the time as, as I could probably imagine you don't get a lot of downtime too often, right? Between all the racing and traveling and all that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right now, um, it seems like right after my last race in San Domingo, I got home and immediately I started having to deal with emails and uh, the business side of triathlon, which I, I'm sure not enough people talk about, but been kind of like going dark on that side with social media and stuff so um just trying to disconnect but at the same time it it doesn't seem like the the off season ever really stopped or <laughs> began yeah now how's that kind of look for you for the off season like how long does that typically last before you like when when would your next race be and when do you have to start training for it i guess yeah i right now my off season is probably about two weeks but i, I haven't really started it because there's a, a turkey trot down in Dana Point, which is in Southern California, and uh, there's some prize money they put on every year. I've been wanting to race it since I was in high school, but I've always been, I've always either had a race that weekend or it was during my off season. So I kind of continued to run uh, after my last race, and I think I had about 70 miles in the last week. And and then after that, I'm going to talk to my coach Ian O'Brien and, and kind of uh, sit down and see if I can get a couple days off where I completely just lay in bed or just like not do anything active Yeah, start training. I'll, I'll start training pretty serious in December, probably December 12th and then get ready for Cape town. We're actually going to be training in uh, South Africa, January, February, and March. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So that, that's really cool to hear. Right. But at the same time, yeah, it definitely goes to show that a lot of pro triathletes that their schedules are so hectic and there's, there's not a lot of downtime and all that. And so you mentioned earlier the Santa Domingo. So I, I kind of want to talk to you about that, but before we, I just dive into that, uh, I want to start back at the beginning, I guess, and going all the way back, like when did you first get your first taste of triathlon? And, and I guess what made you get into endurance sports in general? Yeah. To go back, my first triathlon was about 15 years. Um, my neighbor signed me up. He paid for the entry because I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And, um, I'd watched like, I've watched Kona on TV and I'd heard, heard about all the hype and my neighbor was a triathlete. So he gave me a bike and I started training a little bit with him and I had a running background. So I was probably about, um, yeah, I was 15. And so I, I, sw I grew up surfing and so I was on the surf team. I competed for about eight years and I surfed every single day sometimes three times a day. Um, there was one year where I actually didn't miss a, a day of surfing in an entire year. So I was <laughs> in the water every day. You know, I had a feel for it. I was a lifeguard and, uh, and then I had a good running background and I got it. I picked up cycling with my neighbor and did my first race and I actually, uh, dropped a pretty nasty run split. I think I went around just sub 16. I think I went 1545 off the, off a pretty solid bike. And I got second place in my first ever triathlon. Uh, against a couple of guys who had pro cards actually to think about wow. it. Um, and I, it was my first race again, 15. And, uh, but, but even before that, I, I started running when I was probably about 10 years old. Um, I'd probably run about two miles every night. Uh, just before I did homework, my mom was, uh, was tired of, uh, you know, dealing with all the energy that I had. Um, and I had a lot of ADHD. So my, my mom would tell me to run around the block when we had a two mile uh, two mile loop around the block. So actually I'd run every single night, um, from the age of 10 to, till I got into high, you know, high school and started running competitively. And so that was one way to like kind of cope with my ADHD was to just be really active surfing, running every day. So I was always doing multiple sports and then I was playing baseball and, uh, and doing, yeah, just doing everything I could soccer, you know, football, American football, and then when I picked up triathlon that did that first race and I didn't come back to it till I was 22. Oh, wow. Um, but right after I did that triathlon, I took, uh, running a bit more serious in high school. I was really dedicated. I wanted to get a scholarship. It's kind of like the only way I knew I was going to get into a really good college. Um, cause you know, I was like, my grades weren't as good and 
sitting in class, I wasn't doing the best, uh, just with all that energy and ADHD. It was really hard for me to focus. Um, so I, I thought my only way was to, to get a scholarship was kind of my way out of Huntington beach. Um, and so my freshman year, I went from running a 9:45 two mile to my senior year where I ran 8:56 for two mile and 14:28 for 5k. And then I was uh, second at the Foot Locker Nationals, which is the most prestigious cross country meet in the U.S. And and um, and that's where I, I fell in love with running. And I, I actually, my senior year, I started to train like uh, Lucas was the guy to beat. Um, I knew that the only way I was going to compete with Lucas was to train like a triathlete. So I was actually training like a triathlete, swimming and buzz and uh, finished second to him at Foot Locker. So I was always doing multiple sports and I had 6 a.m. surf class in the morning and the afternoon I'd go, I'd go run eight to 10 miles and then I'd go surf right before it got dark. And then I'd do that every day. So I, I was a really active kid. Wow. So it's always amazing to hear the story that kind of led to where you are today, right? Like, I mean, we flash forward to today and we've seen how far you've come since making that transition to triathlon. And, and it's amazing because you were obviously very athletic growing up and you had a really strong knack for the sport, but you never actually really took it serious until your early twenties. So, I mean, flash forward to today a little bit, I wanted to kind of dive into the 2019 season a bit more because I mean, you kept very busy this year with, with your racing and, and you had some spectacular performances. Uh, I think most notably, I think that you'd be probably pretty proud of where the three world cup races you came away with the top podium. So how'd you feel about the season overall compared to the other ones? Yeah, I think this year was the first year that I had everything, everything like really started to click and sort of, and, and in terms of like not being injured, um, except I had a really bad bike crash in Edmonton. Um, but not being injured, having a coach that I, you know, I really could communicate with and, um, having a strength coach, getting back to like what I needed specifically and also working with a sports psychologist, those three things made a, a huge difference this year, uh, in terms of mentally and physically staying healthy and positive. I think the, the first breakthrough was Leeds, uh, WTS. I was having like a pretty lackluster year. It wasn't a, a, a great year. I was 30th or 31st at Yokohama and, uh, Bermuda. I wasn't in a great place. I think right before Bermuda, sat down on the phone with my coach and I said, I don't want to be here. I just, I don't want to race. Uh, this is the day before the race. Uh Um, and I just wasn't in a good, uh, mindset. I, I wasn't having fun at races. I was so stressed, uh, seven days out, you know, and thinking about the outcome. I was so focused on the outcome, so focused on making the Olympics and, um, and being one of the best in the world that I wasn't able to enjoy the process. And, Mm -hmm. As soon as I got sports psychologist and and a weight coach, I think I, I gained a lot of uh, confidence and started in started having fun. That was the big takeaway: is like having fun. And um, as cliche as that sounds, uh, it's true. Like the root of why I do this is to have fun. If if it becomes more of a you know, the, all the pressure and sponsors and Olympics, all that pressure can really get to your head and. Um, yeah, it was solely driven on the outcome result focus. So I definitely flipped the switch going into leads. I got second to, uh, to Jake Burt whistle and just out kicked Javier Gomez. And that was the first realization that I had where I was like, okay, I can, I can start dreaming bigger. Like I dreamed of having a WTS podium three years ago, um, four years ago. And then all of a sudden I did, I was like, okay, like where, where can I go from here? I just set the bar, but how far can that, can I push this bar? Can, can I be a world champion? Can I be a multiple WTS uh, podium finisher next year? Um, or even this year. And, and then gotten a bike crash in Edmonton and that's when everything seemed to just kind of spiral down. I had a, based on the, the, uh, the x-rays, I had a fracture in my fibular head, which is in my elbow. And, I was going 30 miles per hour, hit the curb, an athlete kind of sw- pulled off and we crossed wheels. I went into the curb going about 30 miles per hour and landed on my arm. And so at that moment when I was crying on the side of a curb and my coach ran up to me 
and he was like, everything's going to be fine. You have Yokohama next year to qualify for the Olympics. And I was screaming out that I wasn't going to make it. It was, it was really emotional. I was bawling. I was, I didn't even care about the arm necessarily, but in my mind it was like, okay, recovery time. And how long do I have to get back on the horse? Um, And and he was kind of calming me down. So then as soon as I got over that, I went to the the Tokyo test event and I finished 16th. So I wasn't really swimming that much. And I had a pretty bad swim that put me in a, on the bike. And it was basically, basically I was playing catch up the entire day. Um, and it was really hot, which I raced, I found out that I raced pretty well in the heat and, and then went to Luzon, didn't have a great race again, just lacking fitness that some of those, those guys like Mola and Mr. Louie had, um, they had a little bit bigger of a, I think a training block than I did. And, and then went into the world cup, you know, the three world cups that I did at the end of the year. So, and, and those went really well. Yeah. So it sounds like a, a really like a groundbreaking year for you too, right? Like it's super unfortunate to hear about Edmonton. I can definitely kind of resonate with the, the pain you were feeling there where right when you crash, you realize like exactly how long is this going to affect me and, and how will this affect me? But it, it's amazing and interesting to see now that you're working with a sports psychologist because I think a few of the ITU athletes now I've spoken to have done similar things with sports psychologists. And that kind of, it's interesting to me because I think that seems to, you know, take away that negative mindset from, like you said, it's all results based, right. And you can flip the switch and change it to something else. So uh, have you, I I guess, would you recommend these sports psychologists to people if they're having a hard time kind of balancing their triathlon or getting the right mindset around triathlon? Yeah, definitely. 100%. I think, I think it's also helped me outside of triathlon. I think it's helped me in life more than anything, um, how to deal with relationships, how to deal with people, uh, in everyday life. And that if, if, if I can, uh, make you transfer over to triathlon, if you're stressed out in life, it's definitely going to help your performance. Um, it's all kind of interconnected, even if you're not a professional. So I think, uh, yeah, working with a sports psychologist was great because, um, I just think it completely changed the way I, I looked at racing and kind of my purpose. And yeah, just <laughs> having fun, going back to that, like having fun, it sounds super cliche. And if I probably tell that to a, a number of people, they'd be like, really? Like <laughs> having fun, that's that's where it comes from. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's where it comes from. Awesome, man. No, that's really cool. And I think that, yeah, everyone has their if they can kind of align their their thoughts with their purpose of doing triathlon, I think it would make that a lot more easier for them to create that longevity in the sport, right? Because you have to be enjoying and truly find that passion in the sport to enjoy it for a long career, right? So I think that's amazing what you're doing there. And it's funny, as we talk about the back end here of your season, uh, one of the funny things just earlier this week, I was speaking with Cam Wirth on the podcast and and he spoke on on uh, how he had, you know, quite, I guess, the different experience than you did at Santo Domingo. And he told me, which is pretty funny, that his objective midway through the race was just to make sure he didn't lap him, basically. So, I mean, kind of looking at it from that perspective, like, how, how was your race at Santo Domingo? Because it sounded like you were you were pretty dominant in that race course, right? Yeah, it's funny that you you, uh, you did an interview with Cam because I actually, um, it was after the race, I talked to Cam for about 45 after the race in about an hour in the airport. And I was actually going into the race, like Jake Burt was little texting me. He's like, Hey, make sure you give Cam a, a hard time. He's a good friend of mine. <laughs> um, and I'm like, Oh, you know, like this guy's a really talented athlete. I should, I'm not going to give him a hard time until, uh, after the race and, and see how the, the outcome goes before I, I start, you know, giving him crap. But, uh, yeah, I went up to him after and I actually was interested to hear about some of his thoughts. Like I was I was genuinely curious and uh, just kind of gave me the rundown on like what Ironman is like versus this. And uh, it's, it's a completely different sport. That's kind of the only way to describe it. It's like Ironman seems to just be like, it's like such an enduro event where it almost seems more like ultra running if I were to compare it um, to like track versus ultra running or the marathon. It, you know, it's a completely different, you're training completely different. You're holding, power you're holding a lower power for you know a long sustained time than all three disciplines so when i think when he showed up he was just amazed with with the speed and intensity uh and i'm sure he talked about it in his podcast i haven't heard it, heard it yet 
but yeah, it was, it was cool to get his thoughts and how much he respected the racing. And I also, how much he learned that was, that was also interesting how much he learned about, um, the way he needs to train. So he actually, he gave me the invite to come out to Santa Monica next month and we're going to do some training together at either a couple days just so he can understand maybe how fast I'm swimming, how fast I'm running. And then I'm sure if we go for a ride, we're probably going to be pretty similar um, unless we just start racing each other up <laughs> the Santa Monica Hills. Um, but like I've seen him swim on Instagram and, I, and I'm not the prettiest swimmer, but I can already tell you like, before the race, I was like, oh, this guy's going to have some trouble based on just a 15-second Instagram video that I saw. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I almost lapped him. And I, I was um, I was in really uh, peak shape at, at that point. And I think Cam was, you know, he's a month after Kona. I'm sure he's lacking a little bit of uh, a fitness. For sure. Eh? So it's always amazing to to see the differences between like the IQ athletes and the, the Ironman athletes, right? Like it, it's all inherently, it's the same sport, but you're right. It's two different styles of, tr- of, of racing altogether. Right. And it, the super fast kind of style of like high power, high intensity in the ITU, it's, it always interests me uh, to try and see like uh, an Ironman athlete drop to that speed and distance or sorry, to that speed per se. But it always seems like if an ITU athlete, perfect example, we looked at the 70.3 worlds this year. Uh, if an ITU athlete were to jump up to 70.3 and jump up to that distance, that that extreme fitness sort of pretty much carries over, right? Like, I don't know if it carry over so much to the full Ironman, but it definitely carries over mm-hmm. to the 70.3 distance anyway, which I found was pretty fascinating. Yeah, for sure. And I, I definitely want to move up in distance and, and race 70.3. And even I, I don't know when, I, I haven't really thought about you know, if I want to do another Olympic cycle after Tokyo, uh, but I definitely want, want to do some 70.3 and even go up, go up to Ironman just because I, I feel like, um, right when I was going to make a, a decision, my senior year of, uh, of college, my fifth year, I, I was kind of on the fence between running professional and, um, choosing to do triathlon. And I had a couple offers to run, uh, professional by a couple a couple of shoe companies so i was definitely gonna on the road to like become a marathoner and 10k to marathon and so i think those long distance uh races suit me and i've already run 105 for the half marathon i've run 28 36 for 10k so the longer races do suit me that that doesn't mean that i you know i've run 1350 for 5k um i still have the range to um to run fast. And I think, uh, this past year and even last year, I showed that, uh, I have a really strong kick and, uh, and that's going to come in handy when, um, Tokyo starts rolling around, they start picking a, a relay team. So actually, as you mentioned, Tokyo, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up next was I wanted to kind of dive into talking about Tokyo 2020 a little bit more. And, no, I guess first off, uh, when it comes to qualifications and, and the forecast, like what's it looking like for t- the Team USA and Tokyo 2020? How does it all kind of work out? Yeah, it's it's pretty complicated. So we can have we can have a maximum of three spots, and so that would mean that we'd have to have three U.S. men or three uh, U.S. women in the top 30. So that guarantees that we have three spots, and not all three people that go get those three spots in the top 30 are guaranteed. To guarantee a spot, you'd have to get a top eight at the Tokyo Testament. So Summer Cook is the only American as of right now that is qualified for the Olympics. And uh, so Katie Zaparis hasn't technically qualified, even though I know at the end of the day, USA triathlons, we all know they're going to pick her regardless of uh, of the result in Yokohama, which um, leads me into talking about Yokohama. Yokohama is the next kind of test event for us. Uh, if we get a top eight at Yokohama, the first American to get top eight automatically gets a spot on the, on the men and women's side. If no one gets a top eight at Yokohama, then it's a little political. And then they'll decide they want to pick for the relay or even the individual event. If someone's injured, uh, they don't you know, execute the race perfectly. Wow. Eh? So it seems like it's, yeah, that, that is pretty detailed and pretty complicated. So I, I mean, I guess it's still potentially on the table for you, right? It all really just depends on the test events and where it goes to the relay team and that sort of thing. Correct. Yeah. So 
the plan is to get top eight in Yokohama in May. Um, but it, let's just say that doesn't happen and it, it becomes political. Um, you know, I want to prove to be the best anchor leg that USA can have. I think that, uh, given any sort of like tactical situation on that last leg, I think I can, I can win. Um, just because I, this, this last six months have really improved my running. I think I'm in better shape than I was when I ran 2836 for 10k a, l- a lot better shape and my, my run workouts have shown that so that's that's my plan you know at the end of the day I, I I want the best athlete to compete for for the U.S. in the relay or the individual event and if USA triathlon doesn't pick me then that's their decision but that's <laughs> that's not why I'm doing triathlon right now you know I, that goes back to my sports psychologist is like focus on having fun in the process as soon as I lose sight of that then then it doesn't become as fun you know right. uh, and one thing I think that was uh kind of stressful too is I was uh I trained with Eli Hemming who's the number two or three U.S. triathlete right now in the ranking and um he's an amazing athlete we do every session together but I think we were starting to butt heads too because we both of us kind of felt that pressure. Um, and so I think now we have a better relationship uh, because we're we're starting to have like a friendship, and we we're not letting this get involved. And that's why you see a lot of training groups that don't have multiple uh, countries, you know, fighting for spots or or working out together. Right? Huh? Yeah, that's actually very fascinating. I've never thought about that, but very good point. And again, coming back to the sports psychologist thing, that it's amazing to see how many wonders that works in, in multiple given situations, right? In triathlon, but also everyday life, like you said, building relationships and maintaining healthy relationships with other people and athletes. So uh, that, that's awesome, man. And we'll definitely we'll be keeping an eye on that as the season progresses on who qualifies and that sort of thing and, and watch this all unfold. So we wish you nothing but the best for that. But uh, now, one of the cool things I want to talk about is that this season you were re- representing uh, Bentham by riding the new NS1 road bike, which I-, I thought was pretty awesome because I know it's a new bike. And so to see some athletes out there, some pro triathletes like yourself starting to incorporate it and using it in races is is pretty neat. Now, of course, it's fairly new bike to the circuit. And how have you felt with it so far? It's the best bike I've ever ridden on. And, you know, because I'm sponsored, you probably expect me to say that. But, uh, you know, I've, I've ridden Specialized, I've ridden Canyon, I've ridden Cannondale, I've ridden a lot, of, I've ridden Felt, I mean, I've ridden a lot of different bikes. And I think this bike is perfect. It's like, it's perfect for climbing. And our sort of, it's funny, our sort of racing is, I think a lot of those aero bikes that they're making are, are made to just go really fast in a straight line. And with our racing, there's so many U-turns and so there's such a technical aspect you really want to be able to like come out of turns and, and ride these little short kicker Hills as fast as you can without zapping your legs. So I think this bike is almost, it's almost similar to like, I, I want to say compare it to like a tarmac, but it's like, because it's all integrated, it, it has that arrow feel to it and it has that speed. But in terms of like the play that you get out of, out of sprinting out of a U-turn or sprinting up a little kicker Hill, I definitely noticed that it just stiff enough to where I'm like saving a lot in my legs. And I I would say like, I mean, ITU is very similar format on the bike to a crit. You know, there's people attacking, there's a lot of accelerations and then sometimes you're sitting up and then again, someone attacks. So you're looking at power anywhere from like spikes to 900 to a thousand Watts. Uh, That's normally what I record in a WTS. And, uh, for instance, last year in Yokohama, I probably had, you know, uh, 10 to 12 spikes between 900 and a thousand. And, uh, yeah, so you need something that's maybe not as like that bike isn't too arrow to the point where like a lot of, like I mentioned earlier, like these arrow bikes are really fast at going straight. This bike kind of has like the all around feel to it. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally does. Actually, I'm, you described it really well yourself there. So uh, I think that that's perfect, right? And yeah, because at the end of the day, a lot of these are getting tested in, in wind tunnels. And yeah, they don't, I guess they don't really factor in so much those crit style races. So uh, I, I'm actually pretty fascinated. I didn't actually realize that you guys are putting out that much wattage at sometimes at some some spikes within a WTS race. So 
now, as you talk about using a power meter, is that something that you just kind of look like, do you focus on it much in a race or is it just something you kind of use to analyze after the race as far as I, like data goes? Yeah, it's something I look at after the race. Like I have a, a pioneer power meter and I know a lot of the 70.3 Ironman guys are solely focused on power. That's kind of what they focus on when they're racing. But honestly, you don't really have time to look at your power meter when you're kind of accelerating or uh, you're in the pack because it's you have to be so hyper aware of like the situation. And, you know, if you're crossing wheels, if a guy's coming over, one of my last races, I'll, I'll call him out because he's a really good friend of mine. But Richard <laughs> Varga almost locked his handlebars up with uh, like both of our the handlebars and the drops nearly locked up together on the last lap. And I'm yelling at him. And I, I, I'm calling him uh, another athlete's name. And I didn't realize until he got in front of me that it was Varga. And I, I was completely yelling at him. Um, <laughs> I was calling him Kevin McDowell. I was like, Kevin, stop, stop. And realized it was Richard. I'm like, what are you doing, Rich? Like, <laughs> just, because, just because we were all fighting for position, but you have to be so hyper aware or, or you're going to crash. And it seems right. like this year, more than any other year, that there's more crashes. I mean, it, it has to be some of the da- most dangerous racing I've ever, I've ever seen. And I've been on tons of group rides where there's, there's been crashes, but this is just, if you look at footage of Hamburg and you see how many people, I think like half the field got taken out in the rain on one of the barriers. So I, you know, it's been a, it's been a crazy year just because the racing has come together. You, you have to be hyper aware and, uh, and coming out of those accelerations, you have no time to look at power. You're kind of just, your head's down, you're in the drops, and you're just absolutely sprinting as hard as you can. Wow. Yeah, no, it's so true. It's, it's super fascinating to kind of watch that. And again, when, when you compare it to, you know, like Ironman style racing, it's just, it's so much more technical. And that's one of the things I realized early on, I, I started interviewing more ITU athletes, is like the, you know, the questions of using heart rate zones and and power zones it's just it's not really practical in the style of racing you guys do because ultimately yeah there's so much going on around you and then even so as much as you would like to stay in a power zone if you wanted to it all depends on who's around you if you see someone going by you there's you're not going to stay in a low power zone if if you could keep going harder so i mean yeah it's it's funny because it's the same ultimately the same sport just so many different technicalities involved in actually competing so it's pretty fascinating and and going back to the ventum thing I, I hope to see in the future you know more athletes incorporating that into itu and, and even the super league like uh just kind of seeing seeing how ventum does overall in you know being a new bike in uh, an already pretty like niche market so uh pretty fascinated by that um anyway aside from your training and bike setup and all that uh i know a lot of age groupers out there tend to look up to pro triathletes like yourself. And I'm always curious to know, is there, I, I know there's some people, but uh, is there anyone in particular who influenced or inspired you the most in triathlon, I guess either now or starting back in your early years? Like, yeah, I think there's a number of people when I was in San Diego, uh, right out of college, I was, I was in Flagstaff, Arizona, beautiful place up in the mountains. I was training there, going to university and I, I moved down to, to San Diego and I lived with uh, Olympian Joe Malloy and, and Manny Huerta, who's a two-time Olympian. And so I actually um, created a real bond with those guys. Uh, at the beginning stages, the first two years with them, I, I just embraced like the culture of triathlon. I asked way too many questions and, um, you know, cer- certain questions I'd, I'd ask were like, I remember asking one question. I'd be like, what's it like standing up on a pontoon at a WTS with 65 guys about to jump into the water and sprint to the first buoy? Like what kind of anxiety do you have? And, you know, they just tell me it's just another day. Like it's just another workout. There's no difference. And I'm like, I, I don't understand that. Like, how do you, how do you not get any anxiety or any, um, I like, do you get nervous? And they just kind of tell me how it is. Uh, and, so I learned so much the first two years from those guys that um, kind of made me into the athlete I, I am today in terms of like how to how to pace workouts, kind of the mindset. Um, and those guys really made me tough mentally, at, you know, telling me to keep going, keep training. There's days where, because I was so new to the sport, you come from running where you're working out at maximum of 
14 hours. And then you go to a triathlon, we were doing like 20, 25, 28 hour weeks. And it was so overwhelming. Those guys really inspired me to like, just keep pushing, get on the bike, get out the door. And even though I was just exhausted, I just like found a way to like push through every time. Um, and then there's different athletes, like, uh, obviously you look up to like the Brownleys and Gomez and guy and, and Jan Ferdino, those guys are just absolute machines. Uh, and you look at their consistency and, uh, the way they win and in the fashion they do it. So, I, I mean, I was looking up to them and I think right when I started, I, I definitely looked up to, to Alistair Brownlee, uh, just cause he went, went out to Stanford and we, we have the same 10 K PR. So I was like, okay. I got the same 10 K PR as him. All I got to do is learn how to swim like him. So yeah, I think, I think I've had different phases, uh, where I I'm inspired by different athletes. I definitely lately been inspired by Katie Zafaris. I think there's certain, um, qualities in her that I really look up to in terms of, uh, her dedication and kind of the process that her and her coach take to, to be successful in terms of journaling and, terms of mindset and how she holds herself as an athlete and then you know there's certain athletes like like cam Worth, for example just talking to him um you know he's he's got you know rowing as his background he's done so many different sports and he's trying to tackle the olympics and itu and i almost see me and cam being like more like each other just because you know he was a pro cyclist and i grew up surfing i grew up playing baseball, grew up skateboarding, did so many different sports and kind of was able to be really good at all of them. Um, so yeah, just, just finding different people to kind of latch onto and inspire to be like based on kind of where I'm at. And it's always, it's always changing. For sure. No, it's cool how you highlighted all of them. And it's true, right? Like it's always amazing to look up to certain people at certain times throughout your your life or your career per se. And it's funny to talk about Cam and just being all rounded with sports in general. And it was funny because yeah, he was talking to me about uh, taking up skiing now and now he's enjoying skiing and getting really good at it. I'm like, I'm like, man, what, where does it end for you? Like you, you, you do so many sports, but no, it's amazing to see that. So uh, I'm always fascinated to kind of hear who people tend to look up to. Right. And it, you know, and see those positive aspects of these, these triathletes. So I think that's pretty impressive and awesome. I mean, let's switch up a little bit here and go over a couple of training tips for the age groupers out there. And, and mm-hmm. I find a lot of age groupers, uh, tend to struggle, of course, at the back end of a triathlon in the run. So like the late stages in the run and like, do you find it would benefit them more to focus on consistency and run workouts to get them through that? Or is it that they might be lacking fitness on the bike and swim, you know, just overall cause them to run with low energy or on tired legs at the end of the, the triathlon. Yeah, it's, it's definitely all individualized. I think in terms of the run, um, the back half of the run, like you're talking about, I mean, it's all, yeah. Consistency is everything. Uh, I'm a huge believer in volume. I think I learned that this past year, um, just based on the beginning of the year, I came off an injury that I was, that was lingering last year. I had some terrible sciatic nerve issues and so we were doing we were doing a, a little bit of volume as soon as I got uh, real volume in during the middle of the year because I was coming back from that injury I really thrived and still to this day um I you know I I think I can personally I can say that I can run you know 60 70 miles a week with no workouts and still be pretty close to the same shape um as if I did the same mileage with intensity. I might be a little bit more fit, but not, not, it wouldn't make that big of a difference. So, you know, depending on your schedule, um, just trying to like get out there and do, uh, do as much as you can, um, without letting that interfere on your personal life. You know, uh, you know, I have a girlfriend and there's times where, uh, you know, I might have to sacrifice a workout to go, you know, shopping or whatever. But, um, but I get it done. Like just, you know, I was telling my friend, one of my uh, best friends, he actually, he works a nine to five, you know, almost five, six days a week. And I just tell him like, if you don't have time, like just go out and run like 10, 15 minutes, like literally just getting out the door to just run a little bit. And, and that's something that, that I've actually changed this year is like when I'm traveling, 
and I get in at 11 p.m. and I know I got to get to bed right away and I've been up for like 48 hours, I'll just go run for like five minutes. And just that little like five minute run makes the biggest, biggest difference over, over a year, over, over two years, three years, you know, however long you're planning to do the sport, um, all the, all that adds up. And if you can do that five, 10 minutes coming off a plane, when you get into a city, uh, when you're grinding at work at lunch, um, you know, that makes a huge difference in just, uh, staying active. And there's a saying I always say is, uh, motion is the lotion. So staying, <laughs> staying active is, is re- really important. Awesome, man. That, that's great piece of advice for people out there too. Right. And yeah, I guess time, time again, we see the consistency is key in, in triathlon. Right. And now it seems pretty straightforward with the bike and run now for the swim. Is it the same thing with the swim too? Like I know because you guys are doing shorter distance than that compared to Ironman racing as far as the swim goes, but at the same time, I feel like ITU athletes probably incorporate more swim volume in than a lot of the Ironman athletes do, right? So I guess same thing carries over to the swimming. Yeah, definitely. I think for me personally, so I went from swimming six days a week, 40K a week, three, two, two years ago, I want to say. I did that for like three years and I was swimming a ton. And I went from swimming, this, this is pretty awesome. I went from swimming an 800 time trial and this is yards. So you might have to do the conversion if you're a meters fan, but I did a 800 yards time trial in 10 flat. So that's 120. I think that's 120 per hundred. Um, and that was an all out 800. And then I, right before I did that 800, I actually did a hundred time trial and I, I went one, I think I went one twelve or one fifteen. Um, wow. and so now I can do that. I can do, I'm pretty sure if I like, tapered up middle of the season i could probably go pretty close to like eight i don't know maybe eight twenty eight fifteen i can swim pretty close to one double l for 800 um a lot of the main sets i do are is you know is one minute pace for yards so but then then i kind of changed it this year i went to like more uh, lower volume in terms of day-to-day but 4k a day but i swim every day like i literally don't take a day off of swimming uh and i think just like having the feel for the water uh and not like i i definitely don't come from like a proper swimming background where i swam in high school or swam in college i completely learned how to uh, swim through through coaches i think going out and just like i said with the run like running five ten minutes off a plane or after work in the middle of lunch, like if you can go swim five, 10 minutes, um, on a Saturday or Sunday when you normally would take the day off, uh, of swimming, like just getting in the pool and doing like some drills or kickboard or whatever, just to, to keep that feel. Awesome, man. That That's actually really good to hear. So that that's huge. I think that's half the battle is just getting out and getting into that pool, right? For a lot of athletes. Yeah. And so to kind of hear a story like that, that's, that's amazing. And hopefully that can resonate with some listeners there too. Um, sure. You know, I think that's a uh, pretty good stuff. And when you mentioned coaches, of course, that's always a uh, debatable talk, topic, I guess, with age groupers. Now, do you feel it's it's almost essential for a triathlete to ha- to get a coach if they want to perform to the best of their abilities or, you know, are some people, you know, able to get away with being self-coached if, uh, if that's just kind of their, their mentality behind it. Like what's your opinion on coaches for age groupers? Um, I think, I think if you're going to coach yourself, you got to know a lot about the sport. I mean, I've, I haven't been doing the sport for that long, maybe compared to some of the age groupers that might listen who've been doing this for 10 or 20 years. Um, and even longer, I'm sure. But, uh, what I've learned in five years, I, I still know to this day that I, I 100% need a coach and, and that comes down to like planning and organization and stuff you just don't want to worry about when you're training. Um, and if you can find a coach that communicates well with your schedule, I mean, that's, that's number one, like, mm-hmm. it, you know, your coach can give you crazy workouts or bad workouts, but if, if they're going to organize a schedule where you're able to, um, make it work with your job or, uh, with your schedule, like that's, that's number one. Uh, and then having a coach that maybe incorporates stuff that, you know, having that communication where you, there's certain workouts you like to do 
where he can add that. Um, and that's, that's the biggest change this year is there's, there's certain run workouts, uh, that I talked to with my coach and I'm like, like, this is, I tell him, this is my favorite workout. And this gets me one, it gives me confidence, right? That's like half the battle is, is being in the right mindset and getting that confidence. And then two, I just think it absolutely works. And there was run workouts that I pulled from high school and college that, that we had, that we did this year going in the last world cups and, and he, he tweaked it and made it his own for sure. My coach, but, um, yeah, it was just, it was, it was fun to, to communicate with him, with him and, uh, and change it up. And I'll get, I'll give you a, an example just cause I know, uh, Asian groupers like workouts, but, uh, one of the workouts we did, uh, in the middle of our training block, we did, um, it's called pace float kick. So, uh, you do this is the day starts out with a 4,000 yard swim set, pretty easy. You do a two hour ride in the afternoon. Uh, this is at altitude in Boulder, we're at 5,000 feet. And then we go to the track at night on Tuesday. So we'd show up, we do a three mile warm up, 5K warm up, and then we do three times one mile broken up. And the first K, you run three flat, then you jog a 45 second 200 right after the, the K. And then you kick an all out 400. So it's basically a broken mile and we go three flat 45 seconds and we kick a 60. So the first, we did three of them. The first one we went 61, no, we went 60 then we went 59. And then the last one, he wanted us to absolutely rip it. And I went 56, 56 high. And that's all on Strava. Like that's accurate pacing. That's amazing. So the, yeah, those are four, you know, those are sub 445 miles, three times full recovery, three to four minutes rest. And, um, and so, yeah, find a coach that you can, you can have fun training with and communicate with. That's right, man. That's awesome. I, I'm glad you said that. Cause I think that that's a great little workout there for people to, you know, if they ever want to try that themselves, they want to have some fun with it. I think, uh, see what numbers you can come up with. I think that that's pretty impressive. So you know, as we kind of near the end of this podcast here, I just wanted to look at a little bit of motivation for the age groupers, uh, whether it's for their next, you know, long ride, or maybe as they, they listen to this, if they're doing their next long run or something. So uh, for you, I guess, like, what's your motivation that you tap into when you're digging deep and say like a, a really hard training session, or for example, in an ITU race of, of any sort where you're, you're struggling or you're hurting and digging deep in a race. Now, is there something that your sports psychologist kind of taught you to focus on or or what kind of, where do you go when you look for motivation in a hard moment in training or racing? Yeah, I, it's, it's funny. Um, I was just thinking about it, right. As you're telling me that question, how, how simple it is. Uh, it's, it goes back to like the most cliche things. It's like being in the moment sort of thing, having fun. Like, honestly, like if you're able to control what you can control, and I know a lot of coaches say this, but it's kind of like reestablishing that mental um, mental saying to yourself, like uh, stay in the moment, be in the present and do what you can in the moment. So if you're worried about other people and what they're doing, you're not going to, you're not going to race within yourself and you're only as fit as, <laughs> as your training or you can only do what you can do at, in the moment. So right. Yeah, I just think being present, man. As soon as you start to think about how you're going to do, what you're going to do after the race, what you're going to eat, you've already lost, to be honest. And the more, and I think that's what racing brings out and and everyone, and um, is is just being in the present. And I, I think a lot of times because we're distracted by like I notice we're we're so distracted by phones and uh, and work or outside outside information and. And people that like a lot of the times I, I feel that racing is the purest, purest thing that I experience and being present and like, just like listening to your breathing and like all the sort of sounds and things you experience within that two hours, eight hours, whatever, however long the race is that makes it like so pure. Awesome, man. Yeah, that's actually really cool, right? That, that's one of the biggest problems most people deal with, you know, day to day is you know, just staying present and keeping focus because yeah, you, like you, you said it best there, there's so much stuff going on with our phones and, and everything around us. So, uh, you know, being able to incorporate that into our sport and we're fortunate to have a sport where we can kind of dig deep and 
and get in that present mindset. So uh, that's awesome. I'm glad you highlighted that. And so, you know, I mean, that, that pretty much kind of wraps things up. But before we end this off, I wanted to do that, uh, you know, one minute Q&A fire round just to see sure. how many questions we get through in, in one minute. So uh, if you're good to start, I'll just start firing them off. You good for that? Yeah. All right. So I got the timer here. So first question, what was your favorite country to travel to for triathlon? Japan. Uh, what's your go-to pre-race breakfast? Fruit and rice. Uh, what's one race on your bucket list that you haven't done yet? Kona. Oh, nice. Uh, what would be your, your favorite sport other than triathlon? Surfing. Uh, now do you use Swift and have you ever tried any racing on Swift? I just got a Wahoo kicker and I'll probably get Zwift in March. There you go. We'll see you on there. And then, uh, Perfect. uh, what would be the toughest course that you've ever raced? Ooh. Oh, Switzerland. Hands down. It's got like, so it's, I want to say it's six or eight laps and you have, uh, two hills each lap that are, I think they're like 12, 10 or 12 to 14%. <laughs> oh, geez. Eh? Well, there you go. Yeah. That's definitely a tough course to say the least. No, that's awesome, man. That, uh, that's good. That, that wraps up today's podcast. I think that's a great spot to end it off. And, uh, I won't keep you here any longer, but you know, I guess before we wrap it up, uh, where can listeners kind of go to follow you throughout your next season here and kind of follow you on social media? Yeah, I have Instagram. It's, uh, it's Matt M A T underscore M A C. I've Facebook. If you want to add me, um, website and, um, I just, yeah, stay on social media. I gotta, I, I try to update my Instagram story if you want to follow me day to day. But other than that, just uh, triathlonlive.tv is where you can watch all the IT races or download the Olympic channel. Perfect. Awesome, man. I, I appreciate that a lot. It was an awesome episode with you. And uh, wish you nothing but the best the rest of this, uh, or as you get into the season building up to Tokyo 2020, man. So all the best. Yeah, thank you, Steven. All right, take care, man. Well, there you have it, the three-time recent World Cup champion, Matt McElroy. Thanks so much for listening in, and I hope you guys enjoyed that episode like I did. And that's a wrap. Now, if you want to hear more podcasts like these, then hit that subscribe button, and you can follow me on Instagram at pacing.and.racing, and you can also check me out on YouTube by searching Pacing and Racing. And lastly, if you did like this episode, please just take two minutes to leave a kind review on the podcast channel, as this helps us get heard by more listeners through the podcast platform algorithms. Anyway, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time.